Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. How we doing, church? Woo! I'm not going to lie. Nine o'clock was louder. There are like half of them. Uh, I'm just saying. Uh, if you're joining us online, we're glad that you're with us as well. If you're new with us, my name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at, uh, at FBH, and we are excited that you're here with us. Um, for those of you who are members or regular attenders of our church, you'll know that we're doing our best to kind of take care of our facility this year, make sure things are uh, uh, up to snuff and all that stuff. And so actually this week, the exterior, uh, the exterior of our church uh, is going to be getting painted. Um, and so you'll see some of that stuff going on. Uh, we are changing the color. I know. Whoever said, uh-oh, that is a very Baptist response to change. Um, but, uh, but we are changing the color and primarily because of the fact that, you know, water and dirt and all that stuff kind of stains and that sort of thing. So you'll be able to see that uh, as that change is made this week. And then the following week, actually, this room's getting a, a fresh coat of paint as well. And so we're, uh, we're excited about those different changes. We just wanted to keep you guys all in the loop with that. And then on top of that, uh, next week, we actually get Pastor Jeff is bringing the word. Um, if you don't know who Pastor Jeff is. He was the one who gave announcements earlier, and he gets to teach on one of my favorite Bible stories from the gospel um, in uh, the demoniac and Jesus' encounter with the de- uh, demoniac. So um, it'll be a good, good, solid message. Hope you're here for that. But all of that aside, we are continuing to push into and through uh, our series called Love Where You Live. And we're, uh, we're cruising through it, and, and we're, this is uh, chapter three this week, and, and in this series, uh, we are, we're trying to reconcile in our heads what it looks like to, to love those people that God has both supernaturally and strategically placed into your life to make an impact for the kingdom of God. If you've been around our church for any amount of time, you, you, we have said this over and over and over again. It's this idea of your oikos, um, that God has put people in your life for a, uh, for a very specific reason. And last week, we talked about the importance of loving people who were not followers of Christ, essentially those people who uh, were not yet a part of the family of God, uh, which is incredibly important. And we have to be willing to go outside of our comfort zone in order to love those people who may think and, uh, and act and believe differently than we do. But this week, we get an opportunity really to talk about, uh, we, get a, we get to look inside rather the church walls and what it looks like to, uh, to love those people who are inside the family of God to the best of our ability. Essentially, what does it look like to love the believer? Now, every pastor kind of has a bent. If you could picture with me, uh, essentially a long, a long wire, and over here there's discipleship, and over here there's evangelism. Churches, we want to do our best to stay right in the middle between evangelism and discipleship, right? We want to keep that in perfect tension to the best we can. But every person kind of has a bent depending on their spiritual gifting. So those people who are deep theologians, they'll be over here on this side, on the discipleship side. Those people who are more evangelistic will obviously be over on the evangelism side. I tend to, to fade over towards the evangelism side. So oftentimes what I talk about is how to love people well outside of the church walls. And so this morning, I'm going to be honest, it was a little bit of a challenge for me as I was preparing this message and trying to figure out, man, how is it that we can best love where we live uh, and specifically love those believers who are inside uh, the church family? Uh, because did you know actually one of the main reasons that uh, people don't want to follow Jesus is people who do follow Jesus? 
Did you know that? It's actually pretty fascinating. The majority of people that you would ask, like Americans in general, they don't have an issue with Jesus. They really don't. They actually have an issue with the people who represent Jesus, which if you are a follower of Jesus, kind of alarm bell should probably be going off in your head at this point, knowing that Jesus isn't the issue. We as believers tend to, uh, to be that issue. And that's why that word oftentimes gets floated around towards us, that, that hypocrite word, right? Oh, Christians are just a, a, bunch of, a bunch of hypocrites. And it's unfortunate, but oftentimes it tends to be true. We are people uh, who are supposed to be known by our love, is what Scripture says. We'll get to that in a little bit, but our, uh, by our love. But unfortunately, are oftentimes only known for trying to hold other people to a standard that oftentimes we don't hold, hold to ourselves, that tends to be, and so then all of a sudden that hypocrite word comes, uh, comes out. Actually, when I was uh, in high school, I was doing a project for my youth group. This is when like people started to edit video and that sort of thing. And so my youth pastor was like, Peter, I need, he didn't call me Peter, he called me Pete. Pete, I need you to, to film a video for us. Um, and I want you to go to different people at your high school and just ask them what it is that they believe about God and just get your reactions and we can edit it together and all that stuff. So I remember thinking, oh, perfect. I have this guy across the street. He's my neighbor. Uh, we, we knew each other since like first grade best friends, grew up like water polo. I mean, this guy's more of like a brother than a neighbor, that type of guy. And so we're seniors in high school, and I knew he had some interesting thoughts about Christianity and that sort of thing, but I thought, hey, he's going to say yes because he also wants to be on video, and then I'll get an interesting answer. So I went and I asked him, I was like, hey man, tell me what it is that you believe about God. And it was really, really, he said something, uh, (laughs) he said something along the lines of, uh, I believe in God, but I don't believe in the church because they're all a bunch of hypocrites, right? And we've probably heard this sentiment before. If you have ever spent any time talking to people outside of the church walls, this is a regular sentiment that tends to come up. And it's a common thing. And we don't want people to believe that about us as followers of Christ. We want them to be part of a body of believers who love us. So as, as the outside world looking in, oftentimes they see us as hypocrites. And if I'm being honest, the perception that we see from the inside of the church, especially the inside of the church over the course of the last very tumultuous year, is we see from the inside of the church a, a, a lack of unity and incredible division. And that isn't just, I wouldn't say that's just an FBH problem. I would say that is a a capital C church problem, maybe Western church problem, that there is division over things that shouldn't cause division inside the walls of the church. And so we have have an issue as the body of Christ that from the outside, people think we're hypocrites, and from the inside, we're divided. And so what is it that we should do in order as believers to better represent God? Christ, I'm glad you asked. So as you, it's kind of like when you have company over, maybe company for the first time, really important company that's coming over, right? And, and as company comes over for, for the first time, you want to impress them, you're doing this whole like, you're cleaning the baseboards for some reason. I've never once walked into somebody's house and be like, man, they have dirty baseboards, let's get out of here. Right, but you're, you're like, you're doing that whole thing. And, and you're fluffing the pillows and you're, you're sending all the kids to go get groomed and do their hair to the best you can. And then they don't brush their teeth, go brush your teeth. They don't brush your teeth, go brush your teeth. And you still don't put out the fine china because for whatever reason, we never use the fine china. Right? And so you're wanting to impress people though. 
Okay, you're wanting them to come into your home and your house can be perfect. It could be a brand new home with the cleanest baseboards in the world. But if as people walk into your house, there is nothing but division, there is nothing but turmoil, there is nothing but malice for the other people that you have in your family. It doesn't matter how clean your building is. It doesn't matter how nice your home is. It doesn't matter what niceties you put on. They are going to recognize that this is a place that they do not want to come back to. The same can be and will be said of the church. Is that we can do all of the things that we want. We can have the shiniest programs. We can have the greatest whatever it is that we should have. But as people come in, even if those are very finely polished, if they recognize the people who are a part of them are nothing but a whole bunch of people who are divisive on a regular basis, who aren't seeking unity, who aren't, who aren't standing for the common good of, of, of the vision that we have as a church, then ultimately they're going to want to distance themselves from it and say, I don't want to be a part of that. I do not want to return there. Okay? And so that is the issue. So before we can love other people well, before we can love other people outside of the church walls well, which is what we talked about last week, like I said, we have to make sure that we have our house in order. The church has to make sure that they have their house in order. Second John, it's uh, chapter 1, verses 4 to 6, it says this, It has given me great joy to find some of your children, this is John talking, uh, if, to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. It's a command we've had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. So he's saying, as you've heard from the beginning, from the very beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Unfortunately, Christian love has often been greatly kind of misunderstood and not really practiced maybe in the way that it should. Because throughout the New Testament, the command to, to love one another is, hear me, the command to love one another is given to Christians for Christians. Do you hear that? The command in the New Testament to love one another, it's to Christians for Christians. In the same way where it says judge not, it's not talking about judge people who are, don't judge people who are in the church. It actually says, hey, people who are in the church, you should probably judge those people because they're part of your family. It's actually talking about people outside of the church you're not supposed to judge. So when it says, hey, love one another, it's given to Christians for Christians. It's not this general call to love the world but a command that Christians are to live and act in love specifically toward one another. And that isn't to say we're supposed to ignore everybody else. In fact, that's quite the it's quite the contrary. But in this instance, and in most instances, this is what it's talking about. So we need to ensure that we are also taking care of those who are not part of the family of God. Of course, the command, love your neighbor as yourself, that's where we get the love people portion, part of our vision statement. Love your neighbor as yourself applies to all people. Okay, it's actually a, a summary of six of the ten commandments, as a matter of fact, that we should, we should try to, 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 to live a life where we love our neighbors regularly. And if we personally encounter someone who needs our help, of course, we should help them regardless of their religious faith or lack thereof. But even so, Christians are called to have a special kind of love for fellow Christians. It's what Jesus says in John 13. It's verses 34 to 35. It'll be on the screen. It says, a new command I give you, love 
one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus said to his disciples, he says, a new command I give you, love one another. This is the first of two instances. The other one is in uh, chapter 15, verse 12. And so Jesus commands his disciples to love one another, but only on this occasion in chapter 13 did he refer to it as a new command. And it's interesting he says a new command because in God talking about loving people, Jesus talking about loving people throughout the Bible. Well, in the Old Testament, the Israelites were commanded to love their neighbor as they loved themselves. That's Leviticus 19.18. So the Old Testament were like, hey, yep, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So treat other people how you want to be treated. Golden rule going on here, right? And that's what Leviticus is talking about. And oftentimes, man, we raise our kids like, hey, you treat other people how you want to be treated. You've said it. You've heard it. You want to see it acted out. You think for the most part, this is a good call. Here's the reality. Jesus raises the ante. He ups the ante on this. He doesn't say, hey, love your neighbor as you love yourself. He actually says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. He ups the ante, He's like, hey, I don't want you just to love them how you love yourself. I want you to love them as I have loved you. And so we could go back to, hey, what is it that Jesus actually done? Because this is considerably more than simply loving ourselves and how it is that we should love ourselves. You know, the Gospel of John talks about a love for the disciples in, in, in a bunch of different places, but it's a love that, that laid down his life for them. So how is it that, that God loved us? How is it that Jesus loved us? Well, he sacrificed himself for our behalf. That is a self-sacrificing type of love. That's a type of love that's willing to, to die to yourself and really literally die for somebody else. Jesus' love command was new because it demanded a new kind of love. A love like his own. And then people would, would be able then to recognize them as Jesus' disciples by their mutual love for one another, right? Knowing, knowing the truth about Jesus is vital, okay? I hope you hear that. Knowing the truth about Jesus is vital, but so is believers' love for one another, a real true love for one another. And this love, it's not sentimental, but it's real self-sacrificing love, by which we place other believers' needs above our own. That's what this is talking about. Because, because of lovelessness and division among believers, it nullifies their witness to the world. It nullifies, nullifies our witness to the world and reveals us as hypocrites. That's what happens when we do not love one another well. Because Jesus told his disciples, like, hey, love one another and Jesus says that all people, literally says all people, will know that we follow him when they see the love that we have for one another. It's this special love among Christians that will show everyone else that we follow Jesus. And it's not supposed to, like that we're supposed to hate everybody else. But there, there should be a commitment to love fellow Christians at a deeper level than loving all of mankind. It's kind of like the difference between the way like you love your immediate family, right? Your parents or like the way that you love your sons or your daughters, okay? Or the way that you love your spouse, hopefully really well in a self-sacrificing way. 
versus like the way that you love your second uncle who comes around every third Thanksgiving. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, lo- yeah, I love Uncle Ralph. He's great. He's great every three Thanksgivings, and we have the awkward conversation, and it's like that whole like, yeah, I love him. I don't like him, but I love him, right? Like, it's the, that is the difference that we're talking about here, okay? Like, we are called to love the world, but we are called to love fellow believers in a very real way. John 15 11 through 12, it talks about how, how, how to love fellow Christians specifically. Verse 11, it says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as I have loved you. This is the second instance that Jesus says this to his disciples. He is talking about Christians or to Christians about Christians. Love each other. Love one another. Love other Christians as I have loved you. Sacrifice yourself for other believers. He's not talking about the world in general. And shortly after this, he tells them, he actually tells all his disciples shortly after this, that the world is going to hate them. The world's going to hate you, but love each other. Love each other in the, love each other. Because the rest of the New Testament was written specifically, guess to who? Christians, not non-believers. The rest of the New Testament was written to Christians. And Paul, oftentimes, he writes about how Christians should treat each other. He does so in Colossians chapter 3. You can follow along with me here. There's a couple slides, verses 12 to 16. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. Here's a nice little checklist for you. Make sure that you're clothing yourself in this way. With compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's just, I, just, I feel like we should probably read that one again. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, here's the kicker, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. That's a pretty exhaustive list of what it is that the church is supposed to look like, what the family of God is supposed to look like. And Paul is talking to Christians. He's not talking to people outside of the faith. He's talking to people who have said yes to God at some point. So, hey, you said yes to God. This is what you signed up for. I'm sorry if you didn't see the disclaimer ahead of time. Maybe you should have read the book first. Maybe you still need to read the book. But that's what we are called to right there. Therefore, as God's chosen people, in other words, since you are followers of Jesus, this is how you treat one another. And he adds that they are one body. It's a metaphor for the church. These verses are similar to other verses that are shared throughout the New Testament. That after God's love for us, the strongest emphasis about love in the New Testament is on love, loving fellow believers. That's the strongest emphasis about love. So let's think about then why it's important for us to love fellow Christians in a very special way. First, because it shows Jesus to the world in a very special way. 
That's the first thing we need to be willing to take away from this. When the world sees real Christian community in action, they're going to notice it. Scripture tells us that. That's how I know it's true. They will see that there is something different about how we deal with one another. That our interactions should be different. This was the reason Jesus himself gave for us the command that Christians love other Christians. One of the most attractive things about real Christianity is the genuine loving relationship between other Christians. When those aren't present, churches become unattractive. When you invite people into your home, regardless of how clean your home is, if you have issues that you're dealing with relationally, you're not going to want, all those people aren't going to want to come back. Anybody ever like go to their friend's house when you were younger and like all of a sudden mom or dad came in, like your friend's mom or dad came in and they were angry with the kid? And like, because this happened to me one time, me and my buddy were sitting there and I legitimately remember playing Legos with my buddy. And their mom came in and she was hot. I forgot what it was about. She was so angry about something. And so she comes in and she starts laying into him. And I'm just sitting there like on the bed like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do right now. I don't want to be here anymore though. And so like I slowly backed out of the door and went back home. It's the same exact thing. If we have issues in our house, if we have issues in the church, if we are being divisive amongst ourselves, divisive among other believers, we're going to make people feel real uncomfortable when they walk in here. It's the exact opposite of what the Bible tells us that Christian fellowship is supposed to be, what unity is supposed to be. So that's the first thing, is that, that our love for one another should show Jesus to the world in a very real way. The second thing is, is that we're supposed to love each other because love is supposed to be a, supposed to be a commitment that has real-life consequences, that has real life consequences. We are supposed to show the love of God to the world by how we relate to one another. Your love for one another should be evident. You've all sat across from somebody at a dinner or somewhere where like the two people who were married, you're just like, oh, stop. Like we get it. You love each other, right? Like just knock it off for five minutes so we can have a normal conversation. There is no doubt in your mind though that those people are very deeply in love, right? Very deeply in love. And that love has to be demonstrated in, in very real and genuine and life-changing ways. The New Testament is full of, of exhortations to put love into practice. One of those exhortations is found specifically in Ephesians chapter 4. It's verses 31 to 32. And here's another nice little list for you. It's the opposite of the first list, though. It's these things that you need to get rid of in your life. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger while you're driving. It doesn't say that. I added that. <laughs> Brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So let's go through, let's go through that list in 31 again. Where it says get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. So again, this is talking about Christians to Christians. This isn't talking about Christians to the outside world. It's not talking about to the outside world to Christians, especially. This is what I'm talking about from Christians to Christians. 
And while this list may look a little bit strange, bitterness, no, yeah, people are bitter. Rage and anger, yeah, people get mad at other believers. Brawling and slander, man, slander, I don't know, that's like the cousin of gossip, right? And so we talk about this idea of maybe like brawling and slander or like talking about somebody negatively behind their back. Yeah, it sounds like gossip to me, but it's okay. If it's under the guise of a prayer request, we're allowed to do it. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. You can't love the whole world like this, though. It's impossible to love the whole world like this. That sort of love only develops when there is a real community, when people actually know each other and do life together. Okay, this is one of the reasons that that we feel like small groups is such an important part of our church. Because as the church continues to grow, we have to continue to become smaller, to have a very real community where people know you, not just superficially in the way that people would know you on a Sunday morning and be like, man, they always smile at me when I walk in. That's great. That's not real community. So it's one of the reasons that we push so hard on that. It's one of the reasons that, that like, we want you to do life together so you can socialize with those people, so you can spend time with those people, so you can learn with those people. It's one of the reasons that we do these equipping groups. We've got one, like, like Jeff talked about, launching tonight about how to share your faith. Man, get together with other believers. Like, I know, I know that not all of you in here know how to share your faith because I get asked regularly, man, how, I just, I, I, there's, some, there's someone that I work with, or there's someone in my family or whoever the someone may be, and I just don't know how to, like, broach the subject. Like, how do I just say, like, do I just, like, yell Jesus real quick? Like, what is it that I need to be able to do to talk to them about Jesus? Like, we get that question regularly. And so, like, hey, we got a class where you can sit with other believers. We got an equipping group that starts tonight where you can sit with other believers that's three weeks long. It's not exactly a long-term commitment. To be able to sit there and be with other believers and learn how to be sharpened in your faith. That's why these smaller groups are important because you cannot truly love a thousand people at once, at least not in a way that matters. At least not in a way that's going to make a difference. You may genuinely care for that many people and be concerned about what happens to those people. Okay, but when you're dealing with that many people, love is kind of mostly this kind of like abstract idea, right? Something that that takes place primarily in your head or primarily in your emotions. Like, yes, I love those people. And while that love is important, it's important for us to be able to love the world, it's not in a way that matters as deeply as what it is supposed to look like inside the church. Real love, love that makes a difference, can only grow out of genuine relationships in relatively small communities. In other words, a a New Testament type of church. You know, the type of churches that were set up in early in the book of Acts, Acts 1 and 2. Man, when they just got together and they broke bread and they, they learned from one another and they cared for one another, like they taught with one another. I mean, there's even a, a rec- like these churches weren't even like some of them, I mean, their services were kind of boring sometimes. There's evidence that Paul put a kid to sleep who was in a window and fell out and the kid like died. But then Paul got him up and he was fine and he came back in. And I'm sure at some point that small group of believers had a great laugh about it. 
because they're doing life together and they loved each other because there's a small community that cared about one another. But the idea of, of loving the whole world, I've got, I, well, I'm a Christian and I love the whole world is a way to shirk the responsibility of loving that dear person, that person who is in your community really, really well. You know, when I was a youth pastor, I used to say, hey, you gotta love, you gotta love everybody. And hey, if we have a new kid come, Man, I don't care how bad they smell, you need to sit with them and talk to them. Figure out the social equivalent of that person in our body of Christ. And that's what we are called to do. Because, you know, you, you can go and love the homeless and serve in a soup kitchen. I think those things are important. Or you can spend a couple hours with people that you're never going to truly share your life with and then you go back to church and your secure kind of space that you've made for yourself and then we ignore the socially awkward or whoever it may be. Loving each other in the church forces us to actually have relationships with one another. It forces us to confront our own issues and our own conflicts and work through them under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You know, love, it really does start from within and grows out. And loving fellow Christians provides us with this, a solid base from which to be able to kind of spread that love. Genuine love in action normally spreads. The nature of love is a desire to include other people in the joy that we have. So when you get excited about something, you talk about something. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Hey, when you get really, really excited about something, you don't just like change your life and live in such a way that like you hope somebody asks you about it eventually and then you'll talk about it. No, for those of you people who have like done CrossFit in your life, like you can't wait to tell somebody else that you do CrossFit. Because you're so excited about, hey, I'm doing CrossFit, it's going to change my life. Right? So you, like, you talk about things that you are excited about. Like that's what the church gets to do. So, so when we have joy, like when we love other people, that love should spread to other people. But if we don't have real love going on in our local body, it's going to be very hard for us as a group to love anyone else either. We have to get our home in order. In other words, if you want to, to serve the world... It has to start with loving fellow believers. And if you can't love them, you're not going to be able to truly serve the world, not in a meaningful or helpful way. you got to start at home. We have to start here. You know, Matthew 12, 48 to 50, is what Jesus says. He said, he replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Like a biological family. You don't get to pick everyone who gets to become part of your Christian family, just like your biological one. We have an obligation to love each other. And loving other Christians is, is what you sign up for, really, when you become a follower of Jesus. You know, the idea of becoming a Christian but not being part of a Christian fellowship is absolute nonsense. You're like, yep, I believe in God, but I don't go to a church anywhere because churches are messed up, okay? Be part of the solution then. Help us provide answers 
Help us look more like the body rather than simply abandoning it. And that's not supported anywhere in Scripture, by the way. John says in 1 John chapter 4, it's verses 20 and 21, it says, Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. Let's read that again. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. John's not pulling punches here. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. In this context, as in most of the New Testament, brother and sister means fellow Christian. You can't be much more clear than that. We need, we need to accept that loving our Christian brothers and sisters and having meaningful relationships with them is a normal and vital part of following Jesus. So being part of a small group, it's not asking us for you to do more. It's asking us for you to do what the Bible says, to be a part of a small community of believers. And we have to get serious about kind of plugging into that and plugging in and, and to develop real community that is real like that brotherly, sisterly type of love. And I'm not, I'm not a person who walks around saying, hey, brother, hey, sister, or anything like that. That's not me. I know others of you do. That's fine. That's totally good. But in this context, this is really important because this is our biological, this is like our biological family here, the body of Christ, our brothers and our sisters and without spending that amount of time with those people, we are never going to develop that type of love. So you need to find a small group of like-minded Christians and commit to loving those people. We need to make it a priority to spend time with those people, to do things together, to worship together, to hang out together, to love people well. Again, this is a normal part of being a Christian. This isn't extra credit. And within our Christian community, we need to be able to put that love into action. You know, I, many of you know I'm an introvert by nature. Like meeting new people and that sort of thing, it requires a lot of energy for me to be able to do that. This, this is different. Some of you guys, you're on stage. Yeah, but I'm not having a conversation with all of you. Y'all terrify me when I'm on the ground. Up here, I'm fine. Okay, but, but really when, when like I got the call to be a pastor and I felt like in my life, like this is what it is that I'm supposed to do, man, it would have been so much easier for me to just like carve off, carve off like my little slice of safety and like, hey, I'm going to be at home and I have my wife and I have my kids and like I'm just going to live there well and I'm not going to care about other people in my life because let's be real, I have a small group just living under my house, right? There's seven of us. And so I could use every single excuse that I, wanted to, that I wanted to use. Or that, hey, I study the Bible for a living. Or I meet with people on a regular basis in my office for a living. Or, man, I got one of the best small groups in the world and Pastor Jeff and Pastor Kyle on a regular basis. I don't have to do any of that stuff. But I would be falling woefully short of my expectation as a, of a Christian, of being able to love a community very well. 
And like I said, it's not possible to be able to do on a broad scale. One person can't do it on a broad scale, which is why I'm so thankful for the body of Christ. Uh, some of you know this, some of you don't, that we have a committee called a diaconate committee. Diaconate is short for deacons, and deacons' role in the New Testament was essentially to be helpers, right? So they helped with like different logistics and that sort of thing. But after, after a crazy year last year, our diaconate was kind of out of sorts. Uh, I didn't pay enough attention to it. Like we were just trying to figure out how is it that our diaconate should work? Yeah, how is it that our deacons, our helpers on our church, which is an elected committee, should work? And so we were like, I, I sat down with the head of diaconate and we would just kind of brainstorm together like, hey, look, in this time of deep need, that our community needs love, but also our fellowship of believers need love. How is it that we can do our best to love this fellowship well? And so our diaconate was like, hey, let's go. Let's take it on. And so our diaconate's doing our best. We're going to try to contact every single person that we have as part of our church body to help provide needs, whether those needs are, you know, financial needs or bereavement or, or you know, helping people along in membership and baptism or, or our benevolence fund, whatever it may be. I can say, hey, look, we want to love our church well. We want to love our, our family of believers well. And I'm so thankful for that group of people. But even though that group of people is in place, I cannot shirk that responsibility. It is still my responsibility also. So even if you're not on our diaconate, it's not a get out of jail free card. You have to, you have to be able to love those people well. And meeting those needs is part of being a Christian. And we do this because Christ first loved us. And we recognize that from his sacrifice on the cross, that when we were still sinners, Christ came and he died on our behalf so we could commune with him forever. And then we, as the body of believers, get to share that good news with the world. So we're called to. And it's awesome because the world will know that we're Christians by our love. And if it doesn't, I would say we have a very serious issue that we have to deal with inside the church first. We've got to get our house in order. And I pray that you would be along with that ride with us, that you'd be willing to go on that journey with us to get our house in order to love each other so well that the world can't help but notice that we are made different because of Christ in our life. And so if you're new with us on the first Sunday of the month, as is our tradition, we get the opportunity to celebrate what Christ did on the cross for us in the first place. We get to celebrate communion. So I'm going to invite the band out. And communion, we believe in what's called an open table. It's called open table theology. Essentially, that means that you don't have to be a member of First Baptist Hanford to receive communion with us. We simply ask that you would be a member of the body of Christ, that you have said yes to Jesus at some point in your life. Because this is about our remembrance, this is about a memorialization of something that Christ did for us a very long time ago, and a recognition of a very real relationship that we get to have with him and the Father now. And so that's what we do on the first Sunday of the month. If you do not have communion supplies as you walked in, go ahead and raise a hand. We got ushers in the back who will take care of you. We got a couple over here. But if you have not yet said yes to Jesus, and maybe you're someone even joining us online who's kind of just like, you know what? No, I'm not in yet, but the Holy Spirit's really been tugging on your heart and just being like, hey, it's time. It's time. Man, we invite you to be part of our family this morning, part of the family of God. 
And so if you have yet to say yes, but want to say yes and, and receive communion this morning, we would love to be a part of your first communion with you. So why don't you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're, uh, God, I'm so thankful for you. I'm thankful for your son. I'm thankful for this church. And God, I pray that we would learn how to love other people well, that we would learn how to love fellow believers well. God, that our love would exemplify yours. That we wouldn't simply preach the golden rule of, of treat other people how you want to be treated or love other people the way you want to be loved, but rather, hey, I'm going to love other people the way that Christ loved me, the way that your son loved me, which is to, to, he sacrificed himself on the cross for us. The greater man has no love than the greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Father, so we, thankful, we, we are so thankful for what your son did for us, and I pray that we would be able, as a church body, as individual Christians, be able to exemplify that. And so, God, I pray that you would be in this moment right now, that if there are those people who have not yet said yes to you, maybe been pushing it off, and I pray that they would just repeat after me that now would be the time to say yes to you and make that profession of faith and just simply pray in the quietness of your heart. Say, Father, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, that I fall short of what you want out of me, of what your expectation is for us every single day. We've fallen short of your glory, Father, and I admit that. But B, I believe that you sent your Son to die on the cross for my sake. That I'll be reconciled to you forever. I believe he conquered death, came back to life, and is reigning in heaven with you now. I believe that, Father, but see, I choose to follow you every single day. Choose to follow you every single day. And that means loving other believers well. It means loving non-believers well. God, that means that my life would look a whole lot more like you than it does like me. We love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.